Welcome everyone. Make sure I look at all of the screens here. Oh good, people still arriving. That's great. So let's uh, let's sit together just for a few moments and create that welcoming space as others uh, join us. And also to welcome everything inside of you and the world around you.
I know that many of you have witnessed <clears throat> someone making an offering, maybe in a, a temple, in a Buddha hall or Zendo, maybe at a, a graveside or some other place that's thought of as special, uh, sacred or holy. Your being here, whether you have your camera on or not, just your presence is making such an offering. This is you stepping forward with dignity, but this stepping forward at the moment is, is in stillness and upright silence and steady dignity. We call it zazen. This is why we're not just hanging out. If you were making an offering, you wouldn't be drinking or eating or taking care of other business. This is just our time to sit, offer ourselves completely, and to express our, our innate wakefulness. And every person on the screen who's doing the same thing is offering themselves in that same way to you. It's a rare opportunity You needn't do anything. In fact, to stop doing what you're doing and to stop becoming what you become while you do it allows this natural state to flow on its own so that it can be celebrated and shared by our sitting engagement with Zazen.
I'm deeply grateful for your bringing yourself fully to these moments, just our brief sitting in the beginning. <clears throat> this isn't waiting for my talking or our meeting. This is the essential practice for which my talking and our meeting is support. I try to bring you the best that I have. And I appreciate your meeting me in the same way. And part of our celebration and acknowledgement is to know when the bell rings in the beginning, we're not just on Zoom, we're in the Zendo together, in the Buddha Hall. And in just a moment when it rings again, we'll use our voices together to enchone the uh, verse of the robe, which expresses this meeting this embodied practice. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. And at Appamara in Austin, um, we have, because it's in a home, we, many of you know, we have one room that you see if you uh, engage Zazen there online, <clears throat> or if you're a local, you've been there. So there's not a Zendo where you sit and a Buddha hall where you do service. It's, it's, it's all in one room. <clears throat> but it also serves as a classroom and other things. So when the candle is lit, and incense is offered, it becomes the Zendo in Buddha Hall. When the incense is burned away and the candle is off, it could be a room like any other. It could be an ordinary room because we have to make it. So I'm just reminding us that when the bell rings when we began, this doesn't become an ordinary Zoom session. It becomes the Zendo. And because we've been doing this for two and a half years, and goodness knows all of you have been in meetings and so many different things on Zoom. Uh, 
our the bells and our a little bit of formality and the chanting holds it in a different way, a special way. And because all of us are accustomed to um, doing the the usual contemporary thing called watching TV, when we're in front of a screen, we do all kind of things. We hang out, we have a snack, we do things. That's not what we're doing now. And so we offer ourselves in a special way to being together. So there's just a little reminders uh, for today that's important, I think. <clears throat> Last week in inquiry, I spoke about uh, this, uh, the great matter of life and death and talked about the Buddha's uh, story about the dance of the inevitable, um, illness, old age and death, and the possible, the potential to wake up in the midst of, of what it means to have a life. And on Sunday, some of you probably have heard that talk or were there. I spoke about uh, many, many things, but it included what it means to discover and enact uh, truth in any situation. Now that can be a big philosophical thing, and I don't want to get into that, but I say we can get, on the one hand, we can get so caught up in the tangles of our complicated relationships. It's really easy to mistake our personal beliefs about what we think is true for the truth when it's usually just our opinion or our reaction. We can also get so philosophical and spacious listening to some of these teachings that we can land on the side of this sort of calm equanimity, favoring kind of a mistaken like Zen attitude. Oh, it's all empty. And we miss the ways in which suffering is personal and embodied and real. And so I'm going to, I would like to offer two very different perspectives from teachers who practiced as best they could to not get caught in their personal perceptions and to maintain at the same time a larger and inclusive perspective. And, and like each of the, us, these two teachers, and I'm going to speak about uh, Blanche and Joko, each of these two teachers were wonderful and flawed human beings, just like us. The difference isn't that they were special people. The difference was their commitment to practice over decades and their commitment to their students. That's what made them different. And I also want to remind you of, of something because I think that it gets reflected in the little vignettes I'm going to talk about to continue this reflection on illness, old age, and death. Some of you know that when we offered the precepts, they're the prohibitory ones you all know, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't um, intoxicate, don't misuse sexuality, things like this. But the three pure precepts that come before, um, they're various translations. They're three. I vow to embrace and sustain uh, right conduct. You know, what is, I vow to embrace and sustain all good I vow to embrace and sustain all beings. So the first one, I vow to embrace and sustain right conduct means I vow to refrain from harm, from causing harm, from evil or whatever you want to call it. The second one, I vow to embrace and sustain all good, like do what's good, what's nourishing, what's wholesome. So don't do bad stuff, do good stuff, <laughs> those two, roughly speaking. The third one, 
I vow to embrace and sustain all beings. I love one of the translations. I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. That's in accord with the Bodhisattva way. So refrain from doing things that are harmful. Sustain and, and embrace things which are good in the world and live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. So I say that because I want you to think about how these vignettes for these two teachers echo those levels of the pure precepts, okay? I'll start with, with Blanche. Um, and I'm going to read just a bit that she actually wrote um, to begin to make a, a couple of points there. Here's from her own reflections. She said, I got a call that a dear friend of mine who had received the precepts from me years ago when I was living at Green Gulch, that's um, the uh, uh, Green Gulch farm outside of San Francisco. Uh, when I lived at Green Gulch and this friend of mine was dying, I arranged with her husband to go and see her and give her the precepts again. That's, that's an ordinary thing to do for a, a Buddhist student. One of the things that have been very helpful to me around this matter of birth and death, around the matter of my death, she wrote, is meeting death with great curiosity. What is it? We don't know. We can't know ahead of time. Can we be there for it and find out what this great mystery of birth and death is? When I visited my friend Jenny, I said to her, well, Jenny, it looks like you're going to find out about the great mystery before Pete and I do. That was her husband. And she was on her hospital bed in her room. But she jumped up and threw her arms around me and said, Blanche, it's all about love and joy. It's all about love and joy. This was less than a week before she died. So Blanche wrote, I thank you, Jenny, for that teaching. It's all about love and joy. Can we allow that as a, that this is a possibility? Remember the dance between the inevitable and the possible? That is a possibility in our heart as we study this great mystery. I know that I find myself, the older I get, imagining whether I could say such a thing on my own deathbed. But it certainly is what I've been talking about as I'm approaching my deathbed. She was in her late 80s when she wrote this. That love and joy are really right here and available for us if we'll open to them. And I think familiarizing ourselves with the Buddhist teachings, and especially with the teachings on love and kindness, will help. She ended her, um, her reflections by saying, toward the end of her life, uh, not Blanche's, but her friend Jenny. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Uh, she said, I received an email from Jenny's husband when she died. When they said goodnight that last night, she said to him, I'm going to meet the mystery. And those were her last words to him. I'm going to meet the mystery. So Blanche says, I'll offer you this line. I want to be full of curiosity, which she'd taken from a Mary Oliver poem, because it's been a great sustainer to me over the years. And I would say that toward the end of her life, she did teach mainly about loving kindness and gratitude. Her way of speaking about love and joy. 
or final Dharma talks were reflections on the Metta Sutta, the Sutra of Loving Kindness. I vow to refrain from all harm. I vow to sustain all that's good. I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. Joko, Peg and I went to Joko's memorial service in Prescott, Arizona um, after she died. And as I came back, I was reflecting on her life of teaching. I didn't have many years with her, Peg had many. But I did get to see the warm moments um, that her family and students and friends were uh, speaking about during that service. And one person mentioned that she had been called a fierce mirror, a fierce mirror. And you know, when I think about something as fierce, I usually conjure up images of being like harsh and sharp and aggressive. But this was not exactly the fierceness that, that at least I experienced with Joko. She represented um, a fierceness that was more like these screens that we look at, like high definition TVs or monitors, which show in uncanny detail all the features of a face or a flower or the sky. I know sometimes when we look at ourselves, it's like, oh boy, it's so fiercely revealing. It's this kind of mirror um, in which nothing, we're, we're not spared anything. There's no setting like there is on Zoom, which called touch up my appearance. Everything's revealed in exquisite clarity, precisely as it is. And, and this was her fierceness. She didn't reflect back a distorted view a filtered response or a varnished image. She was, she was clear and penetrating, in my experience anyway. She was also unrelenting and completely on the side of freedom, completely on your side. And if she was off, she listened. My experience was that she revealed to me who I was, even if I wasn't so thrilled about it, and what I was doing so then I had the option to live from choice rather than the self-centered dream. Then it was up to me. And as I thought about these kind of comments that people were making, I began to think about both of these teachers having a capacity to reflect our true nature back to us. But something about this common way of, of um, we often speak about this, um, about wakefulness um, was a little bit uncomfortable to me that, because when we use these capital letters and speak about true nature, it begins to sound like a thing which we could possess or something we could lose, which would make it a conditioned phenomena. And, and it's, it's nominalized and made into a state that could come and go. But we, we know, at least intellectually, that this flux of contingencies interdependence, which the Buddha revealed as the nature of things, is more, uh, maybe we should talk about, instead of true nature, maybe we should talk about the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter. You know, Joko substituted life as it is, rather than using the word Buddha. Each moment is Buddha, each moment is life as it is, the only teacher. 
So maybe we might consider dropping true nature and speaking of the truth of the matter. It's alive. And I was thinking about Dogen's uh, piece that he wrote, which is probably the most famous thing he wrote, uh, actualizing the fundamental point that Genjo Kwan, and even think of that translation, actualizing the fundamental point. It sounds a little bit like the truth of the matter. And we're not going to go into his long piece because it's a lot, but listen to this one segment in the context that I'm, I'm speaking about. Like when we're sitting together and I'm encouraging you. This is Dogen. This is Kaz Tanahashi's translation. When you find your place where you are, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. When you find your way at this moment, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. For the place, the way, is neither large nor small, neither yours nor others. The place, the way, is not carried over from the past, is not merely arising now. Here is the place. Here the way unfolds. Do not be surprised that what you realize does not bec become your knowledge and is not grasped by your consciousness. Although actualized immediately, the inconceivable may not be apparent. Its appearance is beyond your knowledge. So it's a very you know, poetic language and it's kind of elegant and rich and complex. But he's saying the fundamental point is that everything is right here. And as we sit, we express it and celebrate it, offer it back. Not reaching to the past, thinking we'll get it from a teacher, not waiting in the future that it's going to arise some other time. This is, this is it, folks. And as, as Joko approached the end of her life, the fundamental... <clears throat> she was speaking about this and showing it, and as Blanche approached the end of her life, you know, the fundamental point for her was gratitude and loving kindness. That's, that was her portal. She spoke about this often and, and suggested that her own life and her practice had led her finally, she said it pretty explicitly, to this fundamental point. That deep gratitude was an expression of wakefulness. And if one understands the truth of the matter, she said they'd be flooded with gratitude. And this fullness naturally overflows as kindness to everyone and everything, including yourself. So when there's only the simplicity of awareness, as we said, rather than the drama of the self-centered dream, which we're so enchanted by, when there's this simplicity of awareness only, The mystery is a welcome space for peace. Fear is replaced with curiosity, as, as Blanche said, and because of the confidence and faith that grows through practice, a kind of trust in the truth of the matter. On the last night of her life, as her caretaker was about to leave the room, Blanche suggested that they both, she said, let's check our intentions. This is the night before she died. What, what could she have been asking? 
What is it that you're going to check? And uh, Victoria Austin, Vicki Austin, who helped um, Peg and I with my Dharma transmission ceremonies, this is the way she described that night because she was the caretaker who was with her that final night. Vicki said, on Sunday, May 8th, we had planned a 90th birthday celebration at Blanche's favorite Japanese restaurant. But that morning she felt too tired to go. Instead, she went to Kaiser Permanente San Francisco Medical Center where tests showed that her organs were failing. So the next night, the final night, Blanche said to me, uh, tonight, before we go to bed, let's check our intentions. When I said that I would use the good night verse Suzuki Roshi gave us, Blanche responded, that's a good one. And so I recited it to her. This evening as I sleep, I vow with all beings to still all things and clear the mind of confusion. This evening as I fall asleep, I vow with all beings to still all things and clear the mind of confusion. And Vicky says she began to follow her breath as she would in Sashin, in an intensive, as in the rest of her life. When it was necessary to respond to a question, she did. But then she immediately returned to meditative concentration and following her breath until the end. And so I believe that when she said, let's check our intention, she was checking to make sure she was in alignment with her deepest in intention to not stray from the truth of the matter, which to her was love and joy, gratitude and kindness, as she prepared to leave her body. She wasn't seeking, you know, some solid ground, but an alignment with the mystery. And also for Joko, the fundamental point was both ordinary and also very profound, which you see in most good teachers. For example, when, when asked about the everyday suffering caused by self-critical mind, she'd say, you'll probably always have those thoughts. They just won't be so interesting. Ordinary and very profound, because this is the truth of the matter. You will always be who you are. And unfortunately, I hate to say it, but self-criticism seems to be part of being a reflective human being. However, through practice, you know, these kind of thoughts soften and begin to recede from the center of your heart and mind. The truth of the matter is not some new thing you're going to learn, but it's a dropping way of what's habitual. There's no true nature out there to discover just the nature of everything in which we can rest. This unrelenting, ever-changing flux of contingency and basic awareness itself. And like Vicky, um, Joko had a caretaker and um, came to her and in the memorial service, he said it was his last uh, like practice discussion or la his last Dyson or Dokusan when he came to her for the last time, like Vicky came to Melange. And she was lying in bed and he said, he approached the bed and immediately she said, um, what could I, what could I do for you? She said that to him. What else could she do? 
That had been her whole orientation as a teacher, offering herself completely to her students right to the end. And he was surprised because then she said something like, I have nothing to say. I don't know what I'm doing. But this wasn't a not knowing that was embedded in confusion, you know, or ignorance. I wasn't there and I wasn't her, but I would imagine a profound, almost unspeakable humility in the face of the great mystery of death. And he asked her if she was at peace. And she said, I never think about such things. This was the truth of the matter. Self-evaluation, whether she was happy, didn't have any meaning. Connecting with immediacy <clears throat> and intimacy with her student was enough. And she said to him, you'll change, but don't try to change. You will change, but don't try to change. In other words, have faith in practice, not your personal agenda for self-improvement. And I think I've told the story before at the very end, she said, uh, come back to see me to him. And with some incredulity, you know, the student said, well, will you still be here? And she said, no, uh, come back anyway. And this is the truth of the matter, always return. Undeterred by forms or ideas or hopes or despair, just return to the truth of the matter. So what's the truth of the matter for you? What's most important? What's the deepest question? Because we reflect on teachers and reflect on people who are around us who are dying or, or who have just died as Aaron's mother has, and it's close. Some other students who have lost people recently, just speaking to several people this week. And we can tell the stories and we have our ideas about it, but how does it fit in your practice? Please bring me your questions, your reflections, your concerns, your, your joys. But let's meet, because that's where the truth of the matter opens. Hi there. Hi. Sorry about the photo thing. Oh, that didn't register on me at all. So. I know, but I wanted to be respectful. Once uh, it gave me a chance to say nice things about you. That that was really nice. I that deeply moved me and touched me. Uh, and yeah, I was surprised by it. I um, so as we were sitting and you were talking, I you know. I noticed that I had lots of judgments about, you know, things going on and that I had to like how much my judgments were separating me from the essence of what was happening. Mm -hmm. And when I finally got them to relax, I felt the, feel, felt the tears well up and, uh, you know, um, 
as you were reading what, you know, Blanche's final things were and that, no, she wouldn't be there and to come back anyway and how that felt like I was broke open. And then I wondered what broke. Good question. What broke? Like my barriers to love, um, my barriers to connection. Um, and why do we have that phrase of breaking open? Like that's a very common phrase, you it know, is. you know, and what's like the real essence behind like a colloquialism. And so it came to you automatically. So it's in you. It's common in the culture. So it's somehow important. It's a signpost. Mm -hmm. And then because you practice, it called up a question. Yeah. What breaks? What breaks? So go further. You've got this level you're, you've got. Go deeper. What breaks? And, and you said habits, I think you said, or something like that. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the first level. That's psychological. That's true. And that's essential. That's not off. That's go further. Or maybe the question, Cassie, if those habits break, if you step through that Dharma gate, what territory do you enter? Where are you? It's, um, it's really tender. Um, That's the feeling of stepping in. There's a tenderness. What happens when you see something that is so captivating and you look through the lens, you look through the viewer, you take a shot, but then you just put the camera down, but you keep looking. What happens? I guess I want to say it's a blending. It's, it's not a separation. Okay. I don't feel like there's a me that's watching. Right. So that's the next step. Old patterns have fallen away. Something's broken. And part of what's broken is your habitual commitment and connection to the self-centered perspective. Yeah, the idea of separation in the first place. Separation starts to, it falls away on its own though. You're not doing it, are you? Yeah. Okay. It starts to fall away. And as that separation falls away, you feel the tenderness. Why tender? What's so tender about that? Okay, so I mean, the thought that just, I, I don't feel like I know the answer, but I can tell you like what my mind is telling me. That's what I want to know. There's an answer. Okay. <laughs> We're just going further. This is koan practice. <laughs> okay, so what falls away is um, how separate I hold myself most of the time. And when you drop that, what happens? Where do you go? You're good about what you let go of. Okay. You're really have a lot of insight about that. And you realize that it has to do with non-separation. What is there? What do you meet? If it's oh, okay. not so, so, so only the truth. And what is that? Oh, God. Um... Now, here, with me, this, not conceptually. Um, our connection. Yeah. That just got jiggly right there. Yeah. 
Isn't that interesting with the yeah. internet? And what's the, what's the connection? What is the essence of this connection between you and me and all these other people who are rooting for you on your side? What is that connection? I don't think I know, Flat. You'd know it if we called it something that's associated with an ordinary human activity like love. Oh. You know that one. Yeah, I know that one. And it it's even beyond uh, human uh, sentiment, of course. Yeah. It's it's life that's alive. Oh, without all the attachments. Un, unspeakable gratitude for just we have this moment. Yeah, that's that's true. We do. We have this moment. And when you put that camera down, it's like just it's enough. It's everything. Yeah. There's nothing missing. And it's what, you know, what we feel when we decide to eliminate everything else and just look through that, you know, just have that frame. Yes. There's the relative and the absolute. Mm -hmm. And so naturally you have to bow. Yeah, you do. Or fall down on your knees. Right. And that's the real essence of those things which have baggage for us. But when, when the baggage is gone, it's, you understand it. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing is over decades of practice, you end up having the willingness to do what you just did with me in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. That's uncommon. Thanks. I, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm greedy for it. Good. That's what all of the talks I've been doing are about. Find that yearning, that longing, that appetite. Don't be just a kind of made quiet or peaceful by the practice and don't be entertained by a talk or something. Yeah. Because yeah. your life depends on it. Yeah, and it's the difference between enough. life and not living. And you're getting old enough and had enough experience to know that. Yeah. 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 Thank you for your teaching. Thank you all. Mm-hmm. We have Jill next. Hey, Jill. Hello. It's a bit colder here in Scotland than Hawaii. I bet it is. <laughs> Except I, uh, I have a hunger to be there also. I really want to go. Hmm. So I don't feel very clear about what I want to say. I just had a sense of wanting to come and talk with you. Um, Yeah. So I think I'm in touch with and living with the the death of a relationship. Yes. And you can feel the grief or the sadness or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel heartbroken. Mm -hmm. You must have loved. I do. I still am. Yeah, if your heart is broken. Your heart broken. And, yeah. But there was something about the truth of the matter that I'm I'm really with this question because I think when I start trying to change the other, 
and started just risking to speak more of my present reality, then I think our differences widened. But so I am I am living the truth of the matter or yes. with neither of us being wrong or Yeah, I just think there was something of that that really supports me to stay, even though people are upset and it's hard and life has to change. There was just something of that that feels very supportive. Well, it's such a strange paradox, isn't it? As you come more fully into the truth of the matter for yourself. Yeah. Come into more alignment with whatever that is for you. Yeah. And you communicate that that you actually are increasing and deepening the intimacy of the relationship. Yes. And as you deepen and, and penetrate that intimacy more and more, the result may be a change in form. Yeah. We call it separation. Yeah. But actually, that's only on the surface. The essence of the relationship goes deeper. Yeah, well, because I, what I'm finding is... Uh, a deeper well into myself, which is actually then a deeper possibility of living in a way and giving in a way that I feel best serves. And you don't know if that deeper well is going to be an invitation mm -hmm. or a gap. Yeah. It's actually a deeper, that's the strange thing. It's actually more intimacy, not less. It's more of an invitation to go deeper. You express to a partner, this is where I am. This is my truth. Yeah. And sometimes you can be met there in a way the meeting looks like getting closer or the meeting looks like they realize the truth of the matter and they step back further or you do too. That's not a failure. That's the truth of the matter. Yeah. That's a deeper intimacy. <laughs> but then as human beings, because we're attaching human beings, we have to live with the consequences of... Yeah. But this is separating form and essence. The essence of the relationship went deeper. Yes. The form changed to look like more distance. But that's just the form. Yes. You were more loving and more truth of the matter with the person. That's really true. And I think on my good days, I can really remember that. So thank you. Right. The perspective is larger on the good days. And that human one that I mentioned is anguish on the bad days. Yeah. And that's, that's where practice meets. Yeah. Can we hold all of that? And thank you for bringing this. This is so important. It's, uh, many, many people are hearing this, I know, as important. Thanks, Jill. And my heart goes to you in your uh, troubling time. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get to come to Scotland maybe next year or the year after. We'll have to come see. Yeah. Bring the relief. Okay, and we have Nelda next. Hi, Flint. Hello. Good to see you. Good to see you. So I want to say this first little thing that I wanted to be say every time I come forward and, and choose not to. 
I get so built up with anxiety about coming forward because I'm such a young, not chronologically, obviously, practitioner that I know I don't have the right words. Yeah, beginner mind is the best, remember? <laughs> and and so, I, I really mean that quite seriously. Thank you for that grace. Um, so even without the right words, um, I wanted to share and have you share with me over something that is and has been for a little while now, a few months, the truth of the matter. And it's so funny where we find our um, Zen inspiration. I found it in a song, mm -hmm. one line of a song. And it says, let there be no darkness in your heart. And that just struck me like a bolt of lightning. And as I... I didn't even have to sit with that. It's like so much was revealed in just seeing those lines, mm -hmm. both sides of the coin on many facets of the prism. Because where it struck me the deepest is that um, I don't want to live with darkness in my heart. I hold the vows that I took through the precepts very dear and very true to my true nature. And that's the place from which I, I want to live. Mm -hmm. And so I'm constantly practicing and falling down and getting up and practicing. Mm -hmm. living, Practicing living consistent with that. But at the same time, there's another facet. And that is that to the extent possible, I don't want others to live with darkness in their heart as a result of my unskillfulness. Mm -hmm. And the particular situation that really brings shush, uh, where the light shines on it is my estrangement from my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad's 93. So who knows how many more days or weeks or months or years. And it's been very challenging over the decades to hold him as he is um, with no darkness in my heart. And at one point, I just decided that I was not skilled enough and it was intolerable and that I was just going to close that door and mm -hmm. say, I've come forward as much and as best as I can. But something in our practice and in my core self called me and in this line shouted at me. Um, that challenging or otherwise, positive or otherwise, he has been one of the most significant people in my life. Mm -hmm. And that there's a great likelihood over these years of bumping up against each other. Certainly he's left darkness in my heart because that's how I processed it and have worked through it. But there's a great possibility I've left darkness in his. Mm -hmm. And I don't want him to leave this earth with that darkness. Mm -hmm. That's why we have to forgive each other over and over and over and over and over and over. So that's the truth of the matter for me in this at this time. Yes. And so what you're enacting right now, Nelda, isn't abiding in what you're calling the darkness in your heart, nor is it exiling that and saying, that's bad. I want to get out of that. What you're doing is you're being intimate with the darkness which is inevitably there for all of us. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the antidote to begin. It's the alchemy that begins to turn it, which is what you're feeling right now. The truth of the matter is there's been darkness. The truth of the matter is you don't want to leave that. The truth of the matter involves forgiveness without turning away from reality. Yes. And how that's, that's part of the mystery. You can't quite nail it down, but it's a territory that you have to live in. And the truth of the matter is regardless of how things have gone, I love my father. Right. And love can hold all that other stuff. The love that isn't just sentimentality or romanticism. It's the larger container of the truth of the matter, which can hold each matter. (laughs) And all of us and all of us with each other. And what you just said was basically the pure precepts. Mm -hmm. I know I refrain from those things that are harmful. I'm going to do all that is good. And I want to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings, including my father. You just described the reality of your life, how the pure precepts are manifesting. So just take that and go deeper with it. You're on the right track. I will. Thank you. I hope that all of you are hearing in each case that invitation to meet the truth of the matter as it appears in your life and what you think and feel, how how it moves in relationships. And then look for ways to open it up a bit. Uh, We say in IFS, you unblend or step back or or to be mindful and witness. There are many things which begins to open up the space so that not so, not so you can turn away or get rid of something so that you can meet it more fully and more intimately. So that you can see the truth of the matter and then take one more step, go deeper. As I've asked each person, go, go further. That's what practice allows us. And sometimes that going further looks like doing nothing. It means stepping through the door and being upright and quiet and attentive and willing and ready to meet the mystery in ways that uh, you can't anticipate. But it's always waiting for you. So that's why my invitation is to, to take that extra step. So thank you each for your beautiful, uh, beautiful questions and and inquiry. It's good to have some time to sit with each of these, each of these questions and each of these people and each of these Dharma gates that we've stepped through to let it integrate and see how it, what's the truth of the matter in your life about these things. And let's 
recite the four practice principles, now in that, um, in the light of that. Okay, here we go. I'm caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. The way of compassion is being just this, being in this moment fully, uh, in seeing the truth of the matter, actualizing the fundamental point. That's why Dogen's uh, description is so beautiful. You all are actualizing the truth of the matter, actualizing the fundamental point when you go further. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. The only teacher is the moment. That's the place you can actualize. If you're not holding to self-centered thoughts, feelings, behaviors, if you're not holding to habits, because when you hold to those habits, it's only suffering. So that's working our way back the other way. Take this with you. I look forward to seeing you um, next week. And uh, please uh, stay and reflect on this with each other. Uh, what we call the virtual porch, if you'd like. And Maria will say some more about that. Thank you so much, Flint. Thank you. And thank you all so much for being here today. <clears throat> and if you'd like to um, offer Dana to Appamada and all its programs and facilities that are solely supported by all of your generosity, then please do go to the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. And there you'll see lots of opportunities to offer Dana to teachers such as Flint. And we also have Joel here tonight. So Joel as well, and this Peg, and we have Laurie and Todd as well, such wonderful teachers. So thank you all so much for being here. And if you would like to continue to meet and share, then please do stay right where you are. Just pop yourself into gallery view so that you can see everybody and we'll continue for a further 30 minutes. Thank you all so much. Thank you.